You know what one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is? What? Top Gun. Oh, come on. Top, Top Gun is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? Yeah, it's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's serious. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. You start out with Danger Zone, you want to blow your water at the beginning. Damn that maverick. Ice me. Are you going to make out? Playing with the boys. Very homoerotic. Oh my fucking god. Oh my god, I'm gonna get so sick of this fucking song. Where his brain is supposed to be his helmet now. So that's it for Goose. Let's talk about drone warfare. Let's talk about that. You don't need top guns for that shit. You just send in the fucking drone. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough, and I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. My wingman today and every day is my lovely wife, Nakia, otherwise known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Do I get a cool, like, tag name or whatever? Can I be... What is it? Iceman? <laughs> you can't be Iceman. <laughs> Iceman is taken, so you're going to have to come up with your own. Okay, I'll have to think about that. All right. <laughs> On today's episode, we'll be strapping in for Nikia's first viewing of a film nearly everyone else on the planet has already seen. Tony Scott's rousing anthem to American testosterone, Top Gun. So, we we haven't really done this kind of movie before, have we? No, thank For God. the unenthusiastic critic. We've done a couple of... I mean, I guess we're calling this an action movie. Sure. For the On the blog, we did Aliens and we did Star Wars, both mm-hmm. of which are sci-fi action movies, but I think we've been neglecting this genre a little bit. I, I feel fine with that. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that before we get into this particular film. What What's your favorite action movie, Nikia? I don't... Okay, so that's a hard one for me because my immediate answer would be I don't have one. Because if we're talking about this sort of like square-jawed, wall-of-muscle, jingoist kind of... <laughs> big explosion thing, then I don't have one because I actively avoid those things. Um, But in preparation for this, right, I was like, well, I must have seen action films at some point. And so I went to look at some lists. And what I found was that how we define action films is pretty broad. So I've seen more than I I thought I had. Okay. So if we look at, let's see, the top... Action movies from 2000 to 2018, according to IMDb, it includes stuff like Wonder Woman, Baby Driver, um, Doctor Strange, Lucy, Super 8, and Black Dynamite, which I love Black Dynamite, but I would have never called that <laughs> no, it an action film. No, I wouldn't have heard of call that an action film. It is, you know, 
spoof of black exploitation films. It is brilliant. Everyone, everyone, everyone should see Black Dynamite, if only because you will have awesome quotes to uh, incorporate into your daily life. I myself love, but Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. <laughs> I use that more than I should because it has no purpose in my life, but I love it. <laughs> So, looking at that list, so I've seen Black Dynamite, I've seen Wonder Woman, I've seen Baby Driver, so I've, apparently I have seen a lot of action films. Yeah, I like Super 8, I right. would not call Super, an action film. That's action a weird... Film. IMDb is is not always trustworthy because right. it's user-generated. and. But even, so then I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, okay. and that list was also kind of all over the place. So it had stuff like... Let's see, Hot Fuzz, which I wouldn't call an action film. No, I, I mean, it it's a, a, I it's mean, a comedy it, action film. It's a comedy film. action film, but it would be more of a comedy, which I have seen, and I enjoyed Hot Fuzz. It also had, let's see, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I would not have called <laughs> okay. that an action film. I mean, it's, it's got great fight <laughs> it has sequences amazing in it, sure. fight sequences, but I would not have called it an action film. Mm. So I think we come into this issue of just, like, you know, yeah, semantics. It's a, it's a very broad definition. It's a very broad definition. Okay, so I also lo- was looking at some various lists and things. And uh, I'll read a quote. This is from Time Out, the 100 Best Action Movies Ever Made. And the number one action movie on their list was Die Hard, which is hard to argue with. You love Die Hard. I do love Die Hard. It's the perfect Christmas movie. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, but just on the general topic of what kind of film we're talking about, this is critic Tom Huddleston talking about Die Hard. He calls it the perfect action movie and then says, but does Die Hard really fit the bill? It doesn't have anything to say about the state of the world. It doesn't offer much insight into the human condition. It isn't exactly what Sudes would call high art. All of which is precisely the point. (laughs) If cinema is the perfect escapist medium, then action movies are its purest expression. The best way we know of for humanity to shake itself loose from the trappings of humdrum reality and take to the ether. We don't want to see ourselves reflected. We don't want understanding or honesty or intellectual insight. We want speed and intensity, wit and wisecracks, cartoon violence, and things going boom. We want Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> sure. You don't sound like you want those things. I don't want those things. Well, because again, like I would argue a little bit that they aren't, that there isn't some sort of undergirding agenda. Like I think a lot of these films are pretty rah-rah pro-America, rah-rah pro-heterosexual, typically white man, you know, typically fighting against whatever is considered the great threat to American ideals at the time. The the great other. The great other. Whatever the great other happens to be at the moment. Yeah. I just... I mean, that is definitely a topic we're going to get into when we talk (laughs) about Top Gun. I think it's hard to avoid. Because, yeah, there is this this very American gung-ho, mm-hmm. you know... Pro-militaristic. Militaristic, often. pro-violence, kind of fist-pumping, yeah. ass-kicking, fuck-yeah movies. I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about... Right. And, you know, it, and a lot of them are what I would perhaps patronizingly call red state movies. <laughs> and let's face it, a lot of them are just terrible, they fill a niche, I imagine, <laughs> you know, because I, I like some of them. But again, I don't typically like that definition is not the sort of action film that mm-hmm. I like. So looking at something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that's right. a very different thing. That production, I believe, was 
it was an all inter- international production right. cast, so it doesn't have that sort of right. pro-America, let's beat up, you know, the other kind of thing, which, you know, and it was it's just beautiful. And it isn't the same sort of um, adrenaline jolts. Like, I think with a lot of the sort of with Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay things, yeah. it's that sort of jolt of the explosion. That's, the, that, the I think, hit. is the specific subgenre we're talking about right. here today is the Bruckheimer Bay. Right. Um, I mean, looking at the career of Jerry Bruckheimer and, you know, Top Gun was directed by Tony Scott, but I think it really is considered a Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. film. He was the producer. Um, at this point, he had done Beverly Hills Cop. Which I liked. Okay. <laughs> and Flashdance, which is not an action movie, but is still that same kind of crowd-pleasing, mm-hmm. unrealistic movie. Um, but yeah, then we went on to do Top Gun, Days of Thunder, Bad Boys. Which I also like. <laughs> so maybe I like Jerry Bruckheimer more than I think I do. No, you just like him when he has black stars in his <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I mean, you Beverly Hills Cop and Bad Boys are the two you said. There, there is a common thread here. Bad Boys has that great scene where Will Smith is like slow mo running with his shirt open with his gun for no fucking. There's no reason for him to be doing that, and it's that's like emblematic to me of those action movies with those scenes where slow mo walking in front of an explosion, right. slow mo running. But yeah, so then we have The Rock. Con Air, Armageddon, oh God, Con Air. Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the National Treasure movies, the Lone Ranger. These are a lot of these are horrible, horrible <laughs> movies. And then he is also responsible for giving us Michael Bay because they made a lot of these movies together: Pearl Harbor, Armageddon, and The Rock. Bad Boys was Michael <laughs> Bay. Um, and then, of course, he went on to do the Transformer movies. So, yeah, it's almost the very definition of when people say movies are shit <laughs> of what we're talking about is these movies. But, you know, if we're being charitable, if we're, you know, let's let's call them guilty pleasures. Sure. Let's call them popcorn movies, summer blockbuster popcorn movies that people go to when they don't want to think too much. They just want to feel that adrenaline rush. It would actually be hard for me to say whether I hate those sort of action films or romantic comedies more. That would be a top, I, that would be difficult really? for me to come down one way or the other on that. I, I might despise them equally. Have we considered the possibility that you just don't like movies? I love movies. I even put together like a list of action, quote unquote, action films that I love. Okay, let's, let's, hear, let's hear some items off your list. So we talked about Bad Boys. And the slow-mo gun running shirt open scene. Okay, but that's the very definition of what you're saying you don't know, like in these other but movies. I, so what I think works here okay. is the chemistry between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. It was both of their, I think, like first big screen outings. And they're just very funny and charismatic together. So I think it works because of them. Um, but it still has that, like, you know, the overworked police chief who's like chopping on a cigar in the middle of the off kind of thing. So it does have all of those just kind of trappings that I can roll my eyes at. But I think I enjoy it in spite of that. I think I enjoy Will Smith and I enjoy Warren Well, Lewis. I think there's also probably something different and a little empowering about having two black leads right. in a movie like that. Right. Versus Tom Cruise or right. Nicolas Cage or... Yes. Um, and then there are movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Matrix, John Wick... Atomic Blonde that are, I appreciate them because of the sort of choreography of the violence. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the intricacy of the violence. And I prefer, like, one of the things I, problems I have with action films 
is they're edited to shit a lot of the time. So you <laughs> can't quite follow what's going on right. because you got to cut here, cut here, cut here. Where a lot of those films, they actually let you kind of enjoy the dance of two people fighting. And it's less about these big explosions and more about two people just going head to head. Um, particularly with like Atomic Blonde, that scene of her fighting, are they like KGB guys or something? I don't know. It, it doesn't the really matter. The plot does not even but matter. Yes. <laughs> But she's fighting them in the stairwell of this apartment building, and then it goes into one of the apartments. And I love it because you see them get tired. Right. You see her take a punch. You see them like, I need a timeout. Let me just sit on this floor, <laughs> and then I'm going to get up and continue to kick your ass kind of thing. So I appreciate that more than the that, sort of... That is a fantastic scene right. in a not particularly great right. movie. And John Wick is the same, where it's really about the sort of the beauty of these people fighting and these bodies being sort of you know, battered and bruised in a very realistic looking way versus the sort of, you know, music video style of fights. Right. So you like fight choreography. I like fight choreography. I mean, you like, despite your reservations about Quentin Tarantino, otherwise you Kill like Bill. the Kill Bill yes. movies. The scene where she's at the um, the restaurant where she's confronting uh, Oranishi for the first time and she has to like slice through her whole entire entourage <laughs> right. and then her and she and Oran have that fight in the garden. Like It's just beautiful. It's just really well done, and you just have to appreciate that. I love that. Okay, so you're less about blowing things up. I'm less about blowing things up. I'm less about guns. I'm more about punches. Stabbing. Stabbing. Very stabby. <laughs> yes. Okay. And if you can do it and look amazing, then I, I appreciate that. Like John Wick, fabulous in a suit while he's getting beat up. Tommy Blunt, awesome in heels while she's kicking ass. So I'm all about that. Okay, well, I mean, I think I think this is a good segue into talking specifically about Top Gun, and I'll I'll reference this article uh, by Mark Harris in GQ. He wrote an article called "The Day the Movies Died," where he, and he admitted it was an arbitrary choice, but he he singled out Top Gun as this moment that Hollywood changed. Hmm. And he talked about kind of how there's this in terms of the history of Hollywood, there's kind of this this accepted narrative that, you know, there was this artistic renaissance in the early 70s, and then came Jaws and Star Wars. And so that, that kind of independent artistic renaissance died, and everything became about blockbusters mm -hmm. and making a lot of money. And, but the point he's making is that Jaws and Star Wars were actually good movies, whereas... Uh, let me, let me read from his article. He says, but good summer blockbusters never hurt anyone. And he talks about how for about 10 years after that, that's what the summer movie, like the summer movie included a lot of really good movies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That yes, the industry had changed, but there were really good movies being produced. And he says, then came Top Gun. <laughs> and he, he says, at their most basic, these sorts of movies weren't movies. They were pure product. Stitched together amalgams of amphetamine action beats, star casting, music videos, and a diamond-hard laminate of technological adrenaline, all designed to distract you from their lack of internal coherence, narrative credibility, or recognizable human qualities. They were rails of celluloid cocaine with only one goal, the transient heightening of sensation. That's way harsh, Ty. It is, but it's not inaccurate. No, no. And I... I had never seen a Transformers movie. I had I had deliberately avoided the Transformers movie until this summer when I was 
doing an experiment to see every movie that came out during the summer. So I finally saw a Transformers movie. They are offensively incomprehensible. And that editing that you're talking yeah. about, the storytelling is so bad. They are... And so his... De, uh, Mark Harris's description of that kind of movie, I mean, taken to its logical right. conclusion right. is how you get the Transformer movies. Right. That they don't even... They, they don't make any sense. They are just what he calls celluloid cocaine well, and the fact that he mentioned... And not even good coke. Right. I'm talking, like, cheap street stuff. <laughs> like, cut with baby laxative. Oh, They're just horrible. Unpleasant. The fact that he mentions music videos, I think a, a number of those directors sort of came out of music videos. I think Michael yes. Bay started... Tony, Tony Scott did, films, Michael Bay did, yes. Videos. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's, I mean, that aesthetic carries through to their films, right. so... Okay, well, today we're going to go back and look at sort of where it all began. This does not make me want to watch this. <laughs> I am more unenthusiastic. Tom Cruise is so in love with Katie. At least all his people tell him so. And while he thinks that she's a very special lady, it's probably not the way he'd choose to go. But a lifetime of longing looks cause too much distraction good thing that he's not gay anymore Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy just be glad it's him not you if you had Tom Cruise's troubles you might be Tom Cruise crazy too you'd flash your big white shiny smile you'd buy expensive shoes but you'd be the only man on earth couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise. Oh no, you couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise. So I guess we might as well just segue right into talking about Top Gun. And this is the part of the program where I attempt to justify my choice of film. And you will not be able to do so at this point. <laughs> I think I will. Okay. I think you're going to come out of this admitting that you needed to see Top Gun. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Okay, so it's not a movie that I love. I don't think it's a great movie. You know, I will... I, I don't claim to have been such a sophisticated teenager that I didn't enjoy Top Gun when it was came out in theaters. But it's not a great movie, and I do not expect you to like it. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. However, I do think if we leave aside issues like, you know, quality and <laughs> enjoyment... <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of a surprising amount of stuff to talk about related to Top Gun. What I'm saying is, in Trump's America, I don't like wasting my time <laughs> on nonsense. This may actually help you understand how we got to Trump's America a little bit. White I think. nonsense, like I just don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Top Gun. Uh, it was the number one movie in 1986. It made over $350 million worldwide. Adjusted for inflation, it's Tom Cruise's biggest hit in a ridiculously successful money-making career. He's His movies have made nearly $4 billion. Oh, my God. And this, Adjusted for Inflation, was the number one movie of his career. Not Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> Strangely not, no. <laughs> He was already a star from uh, movies like Risky Business and All the Right Moves, but this is the film that established him as a blockbuster action hero, which 30 years later he is still insisting on being. There was just a story this week about how he 
broke his ankle on the set of the new no, Mission Impossible. No, he's very adamant about doing his own stunts yes. and things on those Mission yeah. Impossibles. Which we'll we'll talk about that later too. Um, adjusted for inflation, Top Gun is number one hundred and fifteen according to BoxOfficeMojo.com of all time in terms of money making. Wow! So huge hit. It was a film that also changed the home video industry in the mid. 80s studios did not really want people to buy their favorite movies they wanted to be able to re-release them mm. in theaters and have people go see them so movies were priced in the 60 to 80 dollar range for home purpose oh my god yeah top gun was actually the first film released in the 20 dollar range which is too much <laughs> which is where <laughs> films still are today that was kind of set the set the price for what it cost to own your own movie and what happened was Diet Pepsi had the idea of, hey, we can put a commercial on this. So they put a commercial on the front of the VHS tape and released Top Gun at $20. And then that kind of became the model for This is like all of what's wrong with America just rolled in one little <laughs> this thing. This is what I'm saying. This is why we need to talk about Top Gun. I don't want to talk it's, about Top Gun. Let's talk about e socialism. It's the epicenter of everything <laughs> bad in American culture. <laughs> Uh, further proof to justify my choice, just a couple of years ago, the Library of Congress selected Top Gun for preservation in the National Film Registry. Seriously? Which means they find it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. It does not necessarily mean they thought it was good. Okay. They just thought it was important. Like the Chicken McNugget? The what? The Chicken McNugget. I think it was a big deal when the Chicken McNuggets came along. But they're not good for you. <laughs> the filet of fish not good. It's because the Catholics didn't eat meat on Friday, so they introduced the fish. It's not good, though. <laughs> not good. Okay. As is frequently the case. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. We're just going to let that go. Just going to let that slide. <laughs> okay. So, and then I, I do think that Coming back to that that Mark Harris article I was talking about where he basically blames everything about what happened to Hollywood since then on Top Gun mm -hmm. makes it a film worth talking about. And one of his points is that the 16 to 24-year-olds who were the market for Top Gun in 1986 are now controlling the studios. That that's their idea of what a big, successful Hollywood movie looks like. Okay. And then there's a lot of other arguments I will make later, but I think they need to wait for... I don't I don't want to tell you too much about the movie going into it. I don't want to prejudice you I'm already against it. <laughs> totally anti-Top Gun right now. So let's, let's talk about, in terms of cultural osmosis, what you may know about this movie already. What do you know about Top Gun? Funny enough, Top Gun doesn't come up much in my life. I don't hear anyone quoting from Top Gun. I don't... I mean, you hear sort of like need for speed from... Uh -huh. Usually drunk assholes and whatever. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Uh, I know that Goose dies. I know that he, that Tom Cruise plays Maverick and given his name, I'm assuming that he's a <laughs> hot shot pilot who doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> and I know that, is it Val Kilmer? I believe it's Val, Val Kilmer, Kilmer plays Iceman. So I'm assuming he's the villain or the asshole or the, the sort of uh, foe of, mm -hmm. of Tom Cruise. Um, I'm assuming there's some sort of hot chick that Tom Cruise 
you know, gets it on with because she likes hot shot pilots and um, <laughs> a lot of aviators. I, I feel like there's a lot of judgment. You well, know, in, in... am I wrong, though? <laughs> am I? Did I get anything wrong? Just a lot of contempt I, coming out is there before a, you've like, even a watched scruffy, the movie. Uh, you know, commanding officer who's like, <laughs> "You're gonna learn today, Maverick." Am I wrong? Am I fucking wrong? I'll teach you to learn the rules. Don't make me laugh. I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so you you feel like you could just pretty much have to sit down and write this script right because now? I just you? Did. I, because I, I you, just did. You kind of did. Yeah. I'm not gonna argue with yeah. that. <laughs> oh, and Goose, I'm assuming, is sort of the nerdy sort of sidekick friend because his name is fucking Goose. <laughs> so It's not really a strike fear into the heart of no, your enemies no, kind of name, is no. it? It's not Maverick. It's not Iceman. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what are you expecting this experience to be like? A waste of my time. <laughs> time that is very precious. Time that I could be using waiting for Black Panther to come out. That's that's what I'm. That's that's what this is, really. I mean, that's all you've been doing for months is waiting well, for Black Panther to come you out. Know, but some of that time is harder than this is like, you know, solitary time. This is in general population time. If you tell me I have to watch Top Top Gun with Tom Cruise, that's not that's not that's some hard time you're asking for there. How long is this? Uh it's about three you and a lie? half hours. What? Yeah, it's two discs. I will punch you in the face. <laughs> You are a lie, and the truth is not in you. It's, how long is the movie, Michael? It's movie length. I don't know. That, it's that ninety. It's ninety minutes. It's not more than two hours. Oh, it's Jesus. you know. Okay. This is a movie made for short attention spans. It's not a super long movie. Cocaine is a quick high. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, and on that note, I think we'll just go right on into Top Fuck Gun. This. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. For five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. There are no points for second place. Wanna know who the best is? That's him, Iceman. That's the way he flies, ice cold. I flew with the old man. You're a lot like he was. Only better. So you're the one. Iceman. I'm Maverick. Maverick? Does your mother not like you or something? What's your problem, Kazansky? Every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I am dangerous. It's a wild card. Flies by the seat of his pants. You made a bad choice. I got a family to think about. I can't afford to blow this. You had to go into battle. Do you want him with you? Just don't know. How long? It'll take 10 minutes. This thing will be over in two minutes. Get on it. Okay, during the break, Nikia and I watched Top Gun. Nikia, how was that experience for you? It was a 110-minute propaganda film for the U.S. Navy. How do you think I felt about that? In a good way? There is no good way for the... That's... No, it's not possible. Okay, elaborate. I hated it. It was bad. It shouldn't exist. (laughs) Uh, outside of a recruitment center. <laughs> um, no, it was terrible. Um, 
very little redeeming value as a film. Um, while I was watching it, it actually reminded me of this episode of The Simpsons. I think it's like season 12 or something. It's like, you know, we're getting into not great symptoms. But um, <laughs> Bart joins this boy band called um, the Party Posse, I believe. And Lisa does some digging and realizes that it's actually a front for uh, a Navy. It's used as a Navy recruitment tool. And their songs and their videos have all these subliminal messages in them. And one of the ti- the title of one of the songs is "Join the Navy Backwards." <laughs> and <laughs> the video actually has like these flashes of clips of uh, posters of Uncle Sam. So that's basically what this was, except it's Kenny Loggins and Berlin as recruitment soundtrack for the U.S. Navy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> let's get into this a little bit. And you're you're not wrong. And a lot of people picked up on this at the time. Pauline Kael, in her review, said, Top Gun is a recruiting poster that isn't concerned with recruiting, but with being a poster. Yeah, it wasn't subtle. It not only wasn't subtle, it is the literal truth. Mm -hmm. There was sort of unprecedented collaboration between the studios and the Pentagon on this movie. That is troubling. It's not, it wasn't a brand new phenomenon. The... There have been a lot of stories about this over the years, kind of exposing the ties, the collusion between the Pentagon and Hollywood. Mm -hmm. The critic David Sirota has done a lot of work on this, a lot of articles on this issue over the years. And he had an article in Salon called How the 80s Programmed Us for War, where he covered a lot of this territory. Hmm. And he says, Pentagon Hollywood collusion hit a milestone with 1986's Top Gun, a triumphalist teen recruitment ad about the Navy's best of the best, who, of course, never even think to ask the most basic of the basic questions. Who the fuck were they fighting? (laughs) Just faceless, mindless enemies, yes. Uh, Sorta says... The movie's glaringly incurious characters and story were no accident. The script was shaped by Pentagon Brass in exchange for full access to all sorts of hardware. The access itself, a priceless taxpayer subsidy. Paramount Pictures paid just $1.1 million for the use of warplanes and an aircraft carrier, far less than it would have cost the studio had it been compelled to finance the eye candy itself. That's disturbing. It is. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing, also, it worked. According to various sources, recruitment in the Navy spiked 400% after Top Gun was released. The Navy actually set up recruitment tables at theaters playing Top Gun. (laughs) Synergy! Yeah, and this has been kind of the model ever since, and... That's so you want a bunch of people signing up thinking they're going to be Maverick going into the that seems really irresponsible. <laughs> it just seems okay. Sorry. And it, you know, it has led and there's I'll I'll link to some of the stories in the show notes, but there have been many instances of what is basically censorship from the Pentagon mm-hmm. saying, you know, if you want to use our warplanes and stuff, you are not going to depict the military in this America, light. Pro-military. So, yeah. you know, some movies have been approved and some movies have been rejected as far as cooperation from the Pentagon, depending on the content of their scripts, mm-hmm. which is horrifying on nine different levels, right. and possibly a violation of certain First Amendment laws, as some people argue. But anyway, so yes, getting, you know, we, we won't get too much into that today, but it's an interesting aspect of this film. It makes me hate it more. Well, yes, I would think so. And it's, you know, Sirota and several other people kind of link this to the time period. I mean, this was this was the middle of the Reagan administration. And 
sort of talking about it as this kind of rehabilitation of America's image and the image of the military that was presented in Hollywood. Coming out of Vietnam. Coming out of Vietnam and coming out of movies about Vietnam that showed soldiers doing terrible things and presented America in this terrible light. Mm -hmm. And that this was part of the rehabilitation effort. (laughs) Okay. Sure. You know, again, this is not what we're here to talk about today, but it it is this kind of horrifying <laughs> uh, subtext to. So I was right to hate it. Silly movie about fighter pilots. Right, I was right to hate it. <laughs> it's like the fruity Odie bars. See, it's that shit. The stuff that it's a really silly shit that you don't pay attention to. It's it's in there, man. It's in there. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go back and talk about the movie itself and what the message was that was being sold here. Homoerotic militarism. (laughs) That was the message. Okay, well, the homoeroticism (laughs) is sort of the the elephant in the room, the the low-hanging fruit on the tree, Mm -hmm. so to speak. The big dick swinging in the locker room. You you want to talk about that now? I I had heard that it was a fairly homoerotic film, um, and I think whenever people talk about that, they are talking about, in particular, the volleyball scene, which, <laughs> why the fuck is that even in the movie? I don't understand what that, other than to, you know, watch these, you know, virile young men play volleyball with their shirts off, except for Goose, for some reason. Um, Go- all, Goose's body was not as good as the, the others. Okay, that's, but that's not right. Um, you know, glistening and oiled up for just no reason, but okay, sure, fine. <laughs> And then there are just lots of sort of stolen glances between Maverick and Iceman and various other players. Lots of locker room scenes with men in towels or men in underwear. Uh, Lots of talk about war, getting them hard ons. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, phrases like, you can be my wingman anytime, that sort of thing. Which, it makes you feel like you're 12 years old because you're like, oh, I bet you I'd be your wingman, but like... I don't know how else to really read that. Like, it's just... Yeah, again, it's not subtle. It is not subtle at all. And it's It's not like we are, you know, coming to this with a new take on it. This has been well discussed over the years. This has been called the gayest movie ever made. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of stuff has been written about it, and I've been reading a lot of articles about that topic and some of them are just that sort of 12 year old reaction to it one of the characters says i'm like i want some butts yeah (laughs) it's just like what nobody talks like that there's a lot of butt talk okay so much butt talk (laughs) um (laughs) so and and again it's not even that people missed that at the time not every review talked about that, but a lot of reviews, That's like that was a of subtext <laughs> of the review. You know, everybody talked about the lack of chemistry between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis. Right. Good chemistry between him and Iceman, though. Here, here's a typical review. This is uh, Paul Atanasio in, of the Washington Post. The real romance in Top Gun is between the man and the men, the man in the planes, and the camera with both. Pretty much. So that's, you know, he didn't, he doesn't call it homoerotic, but that's pretty much what he's saying. <laughs> David Denby in New York Magazine said it may well be the most brazenly eroticized recruiting poster in the history of warfare. And then Pauline Kale, God bless Pauline Kale, she did go there. <laughs> she said, first of all, she points out, and this is one of my favorite things, anytime I watch a Tom Cruise movie, she, she says, 
The strapping Kelly McGillis sidles into rooms and slouches so she won't overpower her co-star, the relatively diminutive Tom Cruise. (laughs) And it's true. Like, every scene they're in together, she, like, sits on something to bring herself down to eye level or Mm -hmm. sort of slouches down. Yeah, okay. But leaving that out. (laughs) And then she says, when McGillis is off screen, the movie is a shiny homoerotic commercials. The pilots strut around the locker room, towels hanging precariously from their waist. It's as if masculinity has been redefined as how a young man looks with his clothes half off, as if narcissism is what being a warrior is about. Good job, Pauline. She's great. (laughs) And yet, it seems that this was unintentional. How is that possible? Yeah, one of the articles I read kind of suggested that this was towards the end of the sort of pre-irony, the irony-free era mm, of Hollywood. A pure time. Right. When you could just play volleyball with your bros. Yeah, exactly. Sweaty. That it's... Okay, this was Nico Lang in Consequence of Sound. He talks about a lot of movies from that era. He talks about, like, Tango and Cash and a lot of these other sort of buddy movies. Um, he talks about Rocky three, which has Sylvester Stallone and, uh, Apollo Creed, like splashing around in the waves together (laughs) in slow motion. And his point is that he says these movies weren't progressive. They were just incredibly obtuse Mm. and that it was an era in which no one would have questioned the sexuality of these leading men. Right. So therefore they were kind of free to gaze upon male bodies and revel in masculine physicality right. in a way that in Just the later appreciation of your fellow bro. More, more aware and ironic era mm-hmm. that people were not free to do. We we've sullied it is what they Yes, mean. that was a, a more innocent mm-hmm. age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. But he also says there's no mistaking the fact that Top Gun is intensely homoerotic. Although Maverick and Iceman are supposed to be enemies, their repeated jabs at each other are less aggressive than extremely flirty. They close talk a lot. They, everybody in this film close talk. They go right up. I'm going to make out with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So again, yes, the the subtext of homoeroticism in this is pretty well covered ground. I, I do think it's interesting, I think, where that crosses over with the recruitment purpose of it Mm -hmm. becomes interesting Mm -hmm. because as many people, Susan Sontag has pointed this out, like a lot of people over the years have pointed out, in fascist imagery and propaganda, there is a lot of homoeroticism. Hmm. Um, Triumph of the Will, which I wrote about last year, has scenes of young soldiers and Hitler youth in their underwear, literally like washing each other in the shower and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that. So these scenes in Top Gun where it's they almost seem like bathhouse scenes. That's how much time they spend having conversations in the locker locker rooms. Where that crosses over with the whole recruitment purpose of it, I think, is an interesting topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. This is Noah Gattel in Real Change. You know, he points out that obviously the military was not recruiting homosexuals. That was not their agenda. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He says, a more reasonable theory is that those forces who were interested in using the film as a recruitment tool were tapping into the raging sexuality of the adolescent boys who were the film's targeted demographic in the hopes of sublimating those feelings into the male camaraderie and pride in country that the U.S. Armed Forces were selling. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense because, yes, obviously the U.S. military was not recruiting homosexuals. Right. And they were absolutely sort of um, exploiting what is probably an inherent sort of fascism among young boys, really, an Mm. inherent... um, Sadomasochism. Sadomasochism. (laughs) Like, there are all these things that are just part of being a young boy and going through puberty, and if someone says, okay, point that in the direction of a gun, then that's what you're going to do. And it's easy to do that, particularly when there's no context for that action. So one of the the sort of interesting things, well, not interesting, but troubling things about this film was the sort of blank character that was the the enemy. Like, did we really, did we know what country they were, they were in battle? They were Russians. They were Russians? Okay. But even when they would do shots of the cockpits, their helmets were totally black. I don't think you saw their faces. And then when they were engaging in combat, it looked almost like a video game. The way, so, it, I mean, it is set up to sort of dehumanize mm-hmm. what is essentially state-sanctioned murder. Right. The American pilots, they all first of all, they all have their individual names right. and their call signs. And they fly with their oxygen masks off right. for some reason so we can see their faces and know who everyone is. And then, yeah, the, the MiG pilots are just these faceless Darth Vader masks with no identity, no individuality. So yeah, that's, that's what's interesting to me about this is sort of this intersection of the political purpose with this kind of homoerotic subtext. Right. And it's looking back at the Reagan era. There's a book by Susan Jeffords called hard bodies, Hollywood masculinity in the Reagan era. (laughs) And it, you know, it's a study of all those action heroes coming out of the eighties, which was, sort of the height of the action Mm -hmm. hero. So she says, in the dialect of reasoning that constituted the Reagan movement, bodies were deployed in two fundamental categories, soft and hard. The soft body invariably belonged to a female and or a person of color, whereas the hard body was, like Reagan's own, male and white. In Reagan's self-promoted image, chopping wood at his ranch, riding horses, standing tall at a presidential podium, his was one of these hard bodies, a body not subject to disease, fatigue, or aging. The depiction of the indefatigable, muscular, and invincible masculine body became the linchpin of the Reagan imagery, the emblem not only for the Reagan presidency, but for its ideologies and economies as well. So she does, yeah, tie this, the films of that era in with this notion of this newly virile, Mm -hmm. vital, powerful America, Mm -hmm. um, inevitably depicted in a strong white white body and that that was you know contrasting it again with the vietnam era with the carter administration with this notion of america as weak Mm -hmm. and pathetic and you know that that's what the whole reagan era was about and that's what we see in movies of this kind Mm -hmm. so that's one explanation i think for the for why Top Gun is such a celebration of the male body that it that it seems homoerotic. That was part of the the American myth. Mm-hmm. That, that was very important, to, mm-hmm. right? Though it's not only American. I mean, I think we just see that in with with men in power in general. The photos that you have of Putin shirtless on a horse. It's just there's you know the signaling there is not subtle, and it's, it's very clear what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. So it is not only an American phenomenon. I also thought her comments there about the body not subject to disease and aging mm-hmm. is interesting when we look at the heroes who came out of that era. I mean, that really produced like Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis. 
Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise. These are all guys who 30 years later... Still working. ...are still portraying that image. Right. I mean, yeah, it's that's interesting because I'm just trying to think through those actors, what their careers have sort of looked like, and, it, and they pretty much have stayed within that mold. I mean, Tom Cruise is very much holding on to the uh, sort of action hero characterization and is... You know, always very vocal about the fact that he does his own stunts and wants people to know that, you know, I'm still at a place where I can do these things. And I don't know that any of them have taken on roles that have veered from that sort of archetype very much at all, if at all. Uh, not really. I mean, a few of them have taken on roles that address the fact that they're older. Right. Like Stallone in Creed. Right. Or... I think Eastwood now is at a point where he can't, he's not going to be the action star anymore. No, he's now still... he's the crotchety old man right. yelling at teenagers of color on his lawn or something. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is also pretty American, so. But, you know, Harrison Ford was still Han Solo right up until the point where he got a lightsaber shoved through his chest, so. Ah, yes, he did die, didn't he? Yes. Still can't act. <laughs> Leave poor Harrison Ford alone. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of recount the, the plot for us a little bit? I mean, I basically got it totally right. The only thing I forgot, which is a total fucking rookie move, and I can't believe I made it, was I forgot about the sort of the ghost of the dead father. You forgot the daddy I, issues I forgot when the daddy you predicted issues, the plot which, of this movie. Gee, I can't believe I missed that. Like, that's such a rookie mistake. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. But yeah, so that's really the only thing that I didn't get was the, the, the dead daddy thing. You got the tough commanding officer. You got the tough who, commanding officer who says, God damn it, Maverick, like 18 times in the movie. <laughs> yep, I got it all. I was, it was spot on. Mm-hmm. I was very, very good at that. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of myself, actually. I, too, can work for the Pentagon and make a film. Yeah, it was terrible. I don't know how else to say it was terrible. Anytime when they weren't in the air flying, it was just <laughs> a sad, sad display. And then the the flight scenes were pretty much the best part of that movie. This is pretty much exactly what Roger Ebert said about it. He said, the dogfights are absolutely the best since Clint Eastwood's Firefox, but look out for the scenes where the people talk to one another. And you know how you get around people sucking at acting? You just play music over them. <laughs> That's what you do. If I never hear Kenny Loggins again, it will be too soon. You did You did find the soundtrack a little aggressive. It was very aggressive. Everything was, again, we go back to the sort of the background of coming from directing music videos to now directing films. It just seemed like a bunch of little music video vignettes sort of taped together to make a quote unquote movie. So they would, people, characters would be talking and then there's just this swelling of music that happens and then this swelling of music that happens. I just, I can't, I can't. Because what you're doing is you're, the, the music is doing whatever emotional work that the actors should be bringing to the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it was shitty music. So I couldn't even enjoy the music. And particularly trying to make up for the just staggering lack of chemistry between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis. That was just the saddest love scene I've probably ever seen in my life. Yeah. All awkward silhouette and tongues. It was weird. <laughs> I just, I did not enjoy that at all. At all. 
So you want to talk about the love story? Was that what we call that? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The story of Tom Cruise and that woman standing next to each other, talking awkwardly. No, I meant Tom Cruise and Goose. And Iceman or, or Tom Goose. Cruise and Iceman. Yeah, those that's were the, the triangle. Those really. were the true love stories. Mm-hmm. He and what's her name? Kelly. Kelly. Kelly McGillis. He and Kelly McGillis had absolutely no chemistry whatsoever. First of all, the idea that having a group of drunk, horny Navy officers sing to you in a bar is some sort of romantic overture—I just, I can't even begin to comprehend. <laughs> For, we know my issues with being sung to so just in general that was just never gonna be <laughs> oh i i hadn't even thought of that my yeah, thing that would have been your nightmare but then to have agents of death standing and doing it to you lost that loving feeling <laughs> is probably my worst nightmare and i i just i did not find it charming or cute or sexy but it works she's like oh sit right down but then she, like, blows them off. She's like, whatever. Yeah, but in a flirty kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a whole other real-world problem that we could talk about, though. Let's not. I mean, picture this. These are basically the same guys that a few years later would be involved in the tailhook sexual assault scandal. Yes. Where at one of these conventions of naval aviators, like, 83 women were assaulted. Yeah. That's, you know. So when they walk into that bar and, like, oh, it's a target-rich environment... Yeah, it's a little troubling. It's more than a little troubling. <laughs> but that's also, that's another way in which this sort of propaganda is setting up young males thinking they're going into the right, exactly. military and this is what it is. And yeah. then you have your choice of the local women. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Mm-hmm. But apparently she loves it and she falls for it. And they have what is a just dry <laughs> relationship of, based off of, I don't know what the scene where she's chasing him in her car mm-hmm. and she but she's yes. like recklessly driving in traffic yeah. potentially killing herself or others <laughs> in pursuit of this dude <laughs> and it's like but I'm falling for you and it's just like, there's no basis for that relationship how why how are you falling for him every time they're together take my breath away please <laughs> and that's it that's their whole relationship is that fucking song I do I so it's it's completely unbelievable that they would all she would all of a sudden be in love with this like shit eating grin dude. Like I just don't I don't buy it. It doesn't work. The sex scene is sad. I just <laughs> it's yeah, no. And it's also it's hard to tell. Is she supposed to be older than him? She certainly comes off as older yeah, than him. Yeah, she comes off much more mature than he, than he is and I just like just out of his league. I just mm-hmm. I really don't understand what the attraction is supposed to be there. But okay. Well, and jump, jumping towards the end of the movie, and I, I, it's hard. It's so hard not to keep coming back to this point. But after Goose dies, Maverick really is like he's widowed. Like he's lost yeah. the love of his life. Well, he has. And that's the big crisis in the movie. He walks away from Kelly McGillis. Fairly easily. Without a thought, really. <laughs> he's like, okay, I can't deal with this. See ya. So it's not about her. It's like he's lost Goose. Right. And he just gives her up voluntarily at that point. No, the women are all accessories to the relationships that they have with each other. And then in the end, she comes back apparently having given up this great job in Washington that she was supposed to go. Oh, God, I hope not. I hope she was just on like a weekend break or something. I really hope she didn't give up her job. No, she came back. Oh, God. I thought she was just, like, visiting Mm-mm. or something. Oh, that bums me so. out. No. Yeah. No. 
Okay, so let's let's talk about Goose. Uh-huh. What did you think of Goose? Goose was actually the best part of the movie. <laughs> he was, you know, the humor. Mm-hmm. And he actually had some, you know, pathos in his little moments of, you know, this is very serious to me and I need to support my family. And mm-hmm. um, acting against Tom Cruise is very just... He's just such a controlled actor. Like, there's nothing. It's kind of scary. It's it's a sort of a void, but there's a, like it just it's all like clenched jaw mm-hmm. acting. Um, so yeah, I loved Goose. I was sad when Goose died. Mm-hmm. Well, Goose, yeah, Goose is easily the most human yeah. character in the movie, the most likable character in the movie. But in terms of viewing this like as this kind of recruitment thing, and you know, sort of the the fascistic imagery that's at work. I mean, like. So the fact that Goose is the most human, the mm-hmm. most vulnerable, he's the only one that isn't this hyper-masculine, idealized figure. Right. He has the family. He has a family. He's in love with his wife. He has a kid. He doesn't have the perfect body, which is why he wears his shirt in the volleyball <laughs> scene. And, of course, then he's the only one that dies. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he doesn't have a place in that world like he's been... Though he has the gay porniest stash, so you would it, think he, he would He does, he he does have, have a, a bit of a porn stash that's unfortunate, yes. This was, I think, Meg Ryan's first movie, or at least the first time anyone noticed her in this movie as Mrs. Goose. I don't know what her <laughs> name is. Was she supposed to be Southern or something? She was putting on a little bit of there's a Southern some, accent there. There's some sort of there, weird yes. accent work happening there. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, what? <laughs> do you want to do her uh, take me to bed or lose me forever voice? Oh, God, no, no. I can't do Southern. Southern's the only thing I can do. It just comes out sounding like oppression. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. But she actually was, her little part, you know, accent aside, she was actually good. Mm-hmm. Again, more like a real person mm-hmm. insofar as that sort of characterization can be real right. than anybody else. She and Goose she actually and Goose. had a real relationship yeah, they, versus... Yeah, they were believable, whereas everybody else, I just don't I don't know where the fuck mm-hmm. these people came from. And then with, with Meg Ryan, too, it's like after Goose dies, she's comforting Maverick. Right. <laughs> like he loved that... flying with you. It's not about him. <laughs> right. No. Right. And he took your husband's dog tags, which should have gone to your fucking son. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I believe there was only one person of color with a speaking role. Mm, I think that's probably true. So. Sundown. Sundown. Despite the large numbers of people of color in the military, Mm -hmm. there's only one black dude who is, I guess, good enough to be in the Top Gun program. But he was good enough to just be Maverick's. Not goose. Not goose. <laughs> replacement goose. <laughs> Temporary replacement. Yeah. Backseat driver. And then he was pretty much gone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What else? Are we supposed to think that Maverick is the hero? Is a hero? Yes. Or the hero of the film. Well, of course. Okay. I disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't think that he actually. I mean, I guess he sort of learned a lesson, but he had to learn the lesson by at the death of his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even after that, when he has his little redemption moment where he um, he plays wingman 
to Iceman at that last little battle and he come they come down and he's and Iceman says, You could be my wingman anytime right. and he says, Bullshit, you'll be my wingman. <laughs> I don't think he actually learned anything. He seems like still an egotistical asshole. And then he says, Oh, I'm gonna go teach. So now you're gonna go instruct other people to be dangerous, <laughs> egotistical assholes. So I just I don't see how he's the hero. The hero to me is Iceman. Iceman's like, You are dangerous. You need to learn to follow some rules because people will die. Goose died. So I think Iceman is the hero. See, this is just like with Dead Poet Society where we like agree. We with agree with the administrator. The but he was not bad. He was just like, we're in fucking three however much dollar machines in the air, life or death situation. Maybe don't be an ass so you can flip off a Russian and take a Polaroid of it. Why do you have a Polaroid camera in the cockpit of your plane? Have you done this before? Is this something that you do? That's some serial killer shit. You're collecting Polaroids. <laughs> Of your quote-unquote victims, that's disgusting, and I don't know why you're doing that. And again, this is not good propaganda for people you send off into war. This is how you get people going into fucking Vietnam, torturing, you know, little children, because they think that that's what they're supposed to do. That's their fucking, uh, they're entitled to it. They get off on being assholes. No. No. So he does sort of learn to follow orders. He doesn't learn shit. The, mo- the movie lets him off the hook a little bit because Goose's death is not actually his fault. Like, to, for him to have had a real arc, if he'd been doing something really reckless and then Goose died, that would have been a better character arc. Sure. But that's not what happened. It's, it's, it's actually not his fault that Goose dies. So he kind of gets that illusion of a character arc when really it isn't. No, that's what I'm saying. He's not the hero. Um, but he does he does learn that you never leave your wingman, you know, ends up saving Iceman. The the big mystery is set up with his father, what happened to his father. Right. And then really that's kind of an anticlimax. Like nothing yeah. really comes of that. No. You know, he finds out, oh, his father just happened to have been shot down. Right. But something was weird about the mission. Over- Right. It, it means they were in, like, Cambodia or Laos or somewhere <laughs> where they weren't supposed to be, which, again, is just this kind of revisionist, like, dismissal of all the genuine problems with the right. Vietnam War by – he was still a hero. It just came over some line that the liberals <laughs> objected yeah. to. It's like this kind of – yeah. Yeah. Insert here, people should read Four Hours in My Lai. It's a really just terrifying <laughs> account of what happened in no, no, we. This is the Reagan era. We're not right. talking about right. Eli anymore. Yeah, We're not, but we should nobody, be. Nobody wants to hear because about that anymore. Because that's why we anymore. have to have these movies because Eli happened. No, we want to have these like little, you know, glorified victories like we had in Grenada when Reagan was pre- like. That's what we want: American triumphalism. So again, just in terms of like what image the military wants to present. So it is this sort of celebration of that kind of arrogance and that American individual spirit, but channeled like, okay, well, we do need you to follow orders. We do need you to have that camaraderie with your fellow pilots or soldiers or whatever. Yeah, it's it's a little horrifying when you look at how carefully this was crafted. You still get to be the maverick, but... Within reason. Right. But as part of the team... But definitely don't ask about why you're fighting these people or what's going on. No. And I think, wouldn't this have, like, been a major international incident where, like, shooting down MiGs over well, the Indian the Ocean? Is, um, the there's sub- no political context no. of any kind. He just, he comes down and he says something like, oh, your antics were on the front page of every newspaper, but 
the other side the other denies side it denies it that it happened. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the extent of, yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how that happens. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. What else, what else haven't we talked about? Uh, you want to talk about Iceman at all? What is there to say about Iceman? I mean, Iceman, he looks like all the villains of the 80s. Like, isn't, he sort of looks like, what was the dude's name from um, Rocky? The, like, <laughs> I will crush you. Drago. Drago. Like, <laughs> he has that look. So, I mean, definitely going in, you're like, oh, that's... That's the, you know, the nemesis there. But he's actually, you know, a very professional person. He just is trying to do but a no, good see, job. But no, see, he's cold and emotionless. He's, he's doing his job. He's like a robot, which basically Ivan Drago was right. a robot, too. That's a good but analogy. I mean, well, that's also what people tend to want in their military, too, mm-hmm. is they want robots. They don't want people with feelings or emotions. Right, but that's not the concept that they want the American people to have with the military. Right, but that's the truth, they though. They want them to be that's like, you know, the truth. Mavericks. No, but they're they're no, no. You're broken <laughs> until you have no heart left, <laughs> and then you come home fucked up. Okay, you are just cynical as shit. Am I, or yes. have I just read books and the news? See, that's I like my heroes broken yeah, and. You know, questioning the system. Well, Maverick was broken. Maverick was, He was you not know. really, though. <laughs> not really. Like, he was a little whiny about his dad, and he let that, you know, he used that as an excuse for some just ridiculous behavior, but he was not broken. <laughs> no. He is kind of adolescent and just, yeah, he seems about 13 years old. Yes. So, do you sleep well at night knowing that is who's flying $30 million warplanes? I think we have drones doing that now. <laughs> well, that's you. You said something about now the military wants you to be a robot. <laughs> that's the next logical step from Send there. Send in the robots. I can't even imagine the quality of like if there was if the recruitment increased that much after this film. I can't imagine the people that were signing up. Like just well, they were people who thought that looks like fun. But it's not. It's it's not. It's not. <laughs> just... <laughs> Did your heart get pumping during the? Uh... Flight scenes. It did not. You know what those planes sound like to me? Imperialism. <laughs> they sound like, you know, oppression uh, and yeah, just colonialism. Crimes. It's just like it just it's all that's all I hear <laughs> when I hear those types of planes. Like when we have the the air and water show, I always hate the air and water show because I hate that noise. I cannot say it. it just makes yeah. it makes me ill at ease. I cannot <laughs> deal with it. I'm the same way, and it, you know, the air and water show rattles the windows and scares the cat. <laughs> but I think I would enjoy it more if it was accompanied by Kenny Loggins. I would enjoy it less. I hate that song. Not that I ever really liked it. I despise it now. As do I despise, what is it? Take My Breath Away. Take My Breath Away. Terrible song. Horrible song. And I think we should investigate both of those songs for subliminal messages for the U.S. military. If you play them backwards. Well, playing with the boys. Well, playing with the, the boys Kenny is Loggins pretty. The song that yeah. plays over the volleyball scene definitely has you know, some, some subtext. I would have liked that movie more if there were some actual playing with the boys. Just get it on. Just, just do it. <laughs> just be open about just it. Just be open. Just, you know, just make out across the volleyball net. Just do it. That That would be an interesting remake. It's basically the only good thing about it is just like, okay, do it. <laughs> Stop, you know, playing Kiss him games. already. Let's get it on. 
I think they are finally making a sequel to this now, supposedly. Why? It was something they talked about for years. Not everything needs a sequel. I think Tony Scott's death a couple of years ago probably put... A little speed bump. A little speed bump in that plan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they're still planning on going forward to that. These are going to be that. the children of Iceman and Maverick? I'm, I'm assuming that probably Maverick will be the... Ooh, Commanding Goose's officer. son comes back and murders Maverick for taking his dad's dog tag <laughs> Where are and my throwing fucking them fucking Indian Ocean. Tags? Yes, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. That's I would watch that. <laughs> I would absolutely watch that. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't need a sequel. We don't need to. No? No. You know, Maverick will be the commanding officer of Top Gun probably now. And, you know, he'll have some young hotshot pilot like himself. Mm-hmm. He has to... I used to be just like you. I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> I think we could write this movie. Eh? We could absolutely write yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. But see, I have too much integrity. I could not put... I'd have to have a suit in there. And because it's Tom Cruise, it would end with him having to go up in a plane and, you know, save the kid yeah. from... Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's Tom Cruise. It's not enough to just be the commanding officer. No. He would and have he would to have to, like, get out of the cockpit of the plane and, like, crawl on the plane <laughs> and jump to another plane midair. It would be something insanely ridiculous. And then we'd get footage of him breaking an arm or something while he's doing it. That movie sounds awesome. Doesn't it? Yes. Let's call the Pentagon. <laughs> Got an idea, fellas. Give me $30 million what and a couple you, of planes. What do you think? Top Gun 2, Electric Boogaloo. We're going to need some songs. We're going to have to mm. figure out a soundtrack for this because the soundtrack is everything. I think we can use the same songs over again. I, no. I cannot hear those songs again. I cannot. God damn you, Kenny Loggins. Does Kenny Loggins still have a career? Is there still a Kenny no Loggins? Idea. I don't really know. Doesn't he own chicken restaurants now? Who the fuck should I know? Somebody has chicken restaurants. Kenny Rogers oh, has fuck. chicken restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> See, we come back to chicken nuggets. See, this is what I'm saying. It all it's all why full circle. you are chicken nuggets on the brain. It's all full circle. I don't know where that came from. It's full circle. No. Yes. It all makes sense. <laughs> it makes as much sense as the plot I, of this I'm, film. I'm willing to see a lot of conspiracy inclusion, but I'm not You're seeing not, how the, see, you don't look the chicken enough. nugget industry you don't fits look into this. Enough. No, I'm not seeing you it. You gotta take a deeper dive. <laughs> Okay, so are there, <laughs> just, this all started just because I asked you what was your favorite part of the movie. I didn't have, there was no, the ending, the <laughs> ending was my favorite part of the movie. You mean when Maverick triumphs over the no, evil I mean, Russian No, I mean when the mate. credits started to roll and I was allowed to get up and stop watching it. That would be my favorite part. Actually, I sort, <clears throat> and this is, makes me a terrible person, I sort of liked the the scene of goose dying because you see his head like hit oh my god <laughs> hit up against the cockpit <laughs> it was a little funny there was just something about the physicality of it that I sort of laughed about it um, that I'm terrible yeah you're a bad person I'm a horrible person but it, it was just it was like oh. <laughs> And then I saw his helmet was his brain now, and I felt bad. So, but that was probably my favorite part. I just thought it was really well filmed. <laughs> so you enjoyed seeing Goose's Goose die. 
limp, broken yes. body yes. pulled out of the water. Well, not to point the where he actually makes contact with the, the no. top of the cockpit. Yeah. Like, is there something about the arch of the back? <laughs> in, I, I don't know. It was weird, and it made me laugh. That was slapstick to you. It was. Yeah. It was very funny. You're a terrible person. Put a little, what's that? Is it Benny Hill on top of <laughs> mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yakety sax? Yakety sax. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and your uh, you have a, a least favorite part of the movie? The whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing. I'm asking you to focus in on subsections. The sex scene would probably be the sex scene is my is pretty worst. egregious. I was just it's totally just... uncomfortable during that whole. Day. It was just the whole. It was it was. One bad. of the reviews I read said it was filmed like a perfume ad with the silhouetted was, bodies. Mm, I can and the curtains, the, the curtains blowing, like, yeah, yeah, blue lit, and it was just it was just terrible and a lot of tongue action. Yeah, that didn't look sexy at all. Mm. It, it was just like okay, I'm gonna stick my tongue out now, <laughs> and now I'm gonna stick my tongue out again. It was very odd. You know the director was off screen. Just more tongue. Yeah. More tongue. And it's just, why? Light that tongue better. Why? Yeah. See, this one's people that are relying on singular body parts to do all the work. <laughs> Clench your jaw. Close up of the jaw. Close up of the tongue. It's just okay. Or you could just act and be good. A lot of sweat. You commented on the sweat. They, throughout everybody the- was so fucking hot, yeah. apparently. Every scene, mm-hmm. they're all glistening like they just got dipped in oil, which they probably did. Uh-huh. Again, so, you know, okay. We don't have air conditioning in these facilities. Everybody's just hot all the time. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Sure. The terrible film. So I'm hearing that you're really happy that we watched No, that was a waste of my time. A gross injustice, really. Because it wasn't just a bad film, it was propaganda. You made me watch military propaganda. Yes, so that we could have a conversation about how there is this military entertainment complex at work that we need to be aware of. Which is apparently very effective. I mean, if mm-hmm. recruitment went up that, I mean, that's okay. So you're glad we watched Top Gun? I am not. You I know, regret spending need, my time. You needed to see Top Gun. I did, absolutely did not need to see Top Gun. Because again, I knew the whole plot, save for the dead dad, I knew the whole plot. So I really did not need to see that. You didn't know the whole plot. I did know the whole plot. Except outside of the dad, I knew the whole plot. I said, and I was basically line reading. <laughs> so, no, I, I had that movie down without having seen any of it. Okay. Did you know how very, very gay it is? I knew that there was some homoerotic overtones. <laughs> but, no, I had I did not realize that it was, like, literally 80 minutes of it. Is <laughs> They're either in the shower or they're close talking to each other or, you know, smacking each other's butts while they're playing volleyball. Which, again, I'm fine with that movie. It's all the other shit that I would rather not participate in. Okay, so would you recommend Top Gun? I absolutely would not recommend Top Gun. Where does it fit in the canon? At the bottom. (laughs) Way at the bottom. If you are someone who, for whatever unknown reason can't access gay porn (laughs) and you just need to see some hard-bodied dudes sure watch top gun with the sound off um but other than that i cannot think of any reason why anyone should watch this film 
Well, the Library of Congress decided it was no, culturally I significant. Well, I mean, we should be keeping... Enough to preserve okay. for all time. We should absolutely be keeping records of things that the Pentagon is funding as propaganda. So, sure, in in that case, yes, it should probably be... So, know. in much the same way that, like, the Pentagon papers exactly. the, should you know, be Exactly, you know, COINTELPRO and shit like that. That shit mm-hmm. wasn't good, but we should probably keep that on file. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, no, then no one should watch Top Gun. Ever. There's no reason for it. Damn you, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Wherever you are, damn you, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week for a gender-bending double feature, as Nikki and I watch not one, but two of the greatest cross-dressing comedies of all time. 1959's Some Like It Hot, and 1982's Tootsie. As RuPaul says... We're born naked and the rest is drag. (laughs) I have no response to that. (laughs) In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite app. And email us at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. As always, we encourage you to suggest a movie that Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. That would be a drag. Ba-dum-bum. Ching! (laughs) until then remember true love means subjecting your partners to movies they really really don't want to (laughs) watch what's that thing that Iceman does that (laughs) that bite thing like what the fuck is that yeah I I don't know I'm gonna try that in my next Either threatening Fight or seductive. Someone. I'm not entirely sure which. Or a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Depends on what you're into. <laughs> GGG. <laughs> Some people like a little peen with a pleasure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>